Good evening and welcome to Know Yourself. This is Dan Udell and I've got a very special guest today. Um, I've got someone who's uh, very big on Instagram. Um, she is a mental health advocate and she's very passionate about uh, raising awareness for mental health on her website. Um, it is Bipolar Barbie. Um, thank you so much for coming on as a special guest. Uh, all the way from Sydney, Australia. Uh, we're talking over the internet. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, I've uh, just That's finished work and uh, come straight into this. So it's um, I've been looking forward to it all day. It's really good. Um, yeah, well, I'm I'm coming from the future, so I, <laughs> I hate where I am. Our day is just starting here. Yeah. 23rd of September for you. <laughs> That's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> a day ahead. It was always really weird for me, like, um, when it, it's always really weird for uh, New Year's Eve, um, because, like, Australia would, like, get their fireworks, like, hours ahead, and you'd kind of be watching it, it's like, that's really weird. <laughs> it's really weird that that's yeah, already that's happened. <laughs> that's it, we all celebrated it at different times. <laughs> So, I want to talk to you a little bit about, like, um, your origin story, really. So, how did you get started on this, like, on this journey of, you know, because you've got such a following now, like, such a following, um, I really want to understand, like, you know, I've got so many questions, really, but where did it start for you? Um, how did you, yeah, start on the track for this journey? Wow, um, <laughs> that's such a big question. It's sort of hard to tell the story, you know, in such a short space of time. But I mean, really, it started probably a long time ago. It, it probably started the moment that I guess I became mentally ill. You know, that was the moment I started learning. That was the moment I began to have a story to tell. Um, but it wasn't really till about six years after that that I really started posting about it on social media. Um, which is about a year and a half ago now. And that's kind of when I, you know, started creating a following, I guess. And I mean, I'm not exactly 100% sure what kind of prompted me to do it. I guess I just got sick of seeing everyone else's highlight reel. I just got exhausted. You know, I got sick of getting out of bed when I was super depressed, like putting on some makeup, going outside, standing by a tree or a bush or a flower bed, taking a selfie, pretending to be happy posting it online and then going back to my bed being super depressed waiting for people to like it and comment about how amazing my life was yeah <laughs> it was like I hadn't even left the house that day I just I got sick of sort of living this lie and I just I guess in a way I just started to become real and then people started saying things to me like wow you know we're really interested in kind of what you have to say we're really interested in the contrast between, for example, the pictures that you post and, and what you're writing about. And I think in a way it was really the people, it was the following that I had, the small following at the time that really created Bipolar Barbie, that created me and really put me on this, this path. Um, whether I guess you believe in kind of like a destiny. I, I remember when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a motivational speaker. You know, like when I was like 
you know, five, six, seven years old, I, I wanted to change the world. I loved public speaking. I loved writing. I, you know, I wanted to write a book. I wanted to be an artist. I loved painting and drawing. And I think society sort of changed that for me. You know, I went through school and I ended up at law school. Um, wow. After school, I had, yeah, I had a full scholarship to law school. Um, things were going really well. You know, my five-year plan was on track. I, I was going to be a criminal law barrister. Things were really great. And it was about my third year of law school where everything just fell apart. I had my first manic episode and everything turned to shit. Um, and I remember about five years after that, I was in, in hospital um, seeking treatment for my mental health issues and, and, and I was hospitalized in a psych ward. And one of the doctors in there said to me, that I needed to stop thinking about what I'd lost and start thinking about what I'd gained. Wow. And, you know, at the time, I'm thinking, like, what could I have possibly gained? Like, it took law school away. It's taken all my money. Like, it's taken my sanity. And if your sanity is gone, it's like everything else goes. Your housing, your, your stability, you know, your ability to work, like your functioning capacity, it's all gone. But then when I really looked back at who I wanted to be when I was a little kid, I realized that it had actually given me everything I ever wanted. It had given me the like something to write about. It had given me a story to tell, something to talk about, and it had made my art better. And it had really given me, I, I guess, a topic, and you know, combine that with the the skills that I have as a person to really make an impact and actually to change the world. And I think you know, if you pair that. Um, with the support I got in sort of the very early days, um, that's really what kind of put me on this path to get me where I am today. Interesting. It's um, it's it's so it's so lovely to hear that from a young age you wanted to do like the motivational speaking and you wanted to write a story because I understand you're in the middle of writing out like your journey at the moment. Um, you're writing your first book, aren't you? Yeah, so I've written about 10 books. I'm in the process of editing them, which is the most painful, excruciating. Oh, right. 10. Um, yeah, well, I just, I wrote, and I wrote them in this document, and I didn't realize that I had about, like, 2,000 pages. Um, and then, yeah, so when I sort of separated that out, so, yeah, no, I, I've done a lot of writing, um, you know, over the past couple of years. A lot of it is, like, my personal journals that have some great content that's like never before seen any some really, I guess, candid stuff, um, you know, that will be kind of put into to my memoirs. So I'm really excited about that. Interesting. So really like <clears throat> along the way, uh, you've discovered this like authenticity, which has really started to resonate with like the universe, like outside of yourself. And you've kind of responded to that by, you know, creating this community where it's safe, uh, really a safe place to talk about like mental health, you know, off the back of, you know, this story. So, you know, at this point, you're like, you committed to a psych ward, this doctor's told you, you know, you got to think about what you've gained. And now, really, you're starting to picture in your mind, a new uh, story that you can write for yourself, in more ways than one, you know, not only can you, like, uh, chase after, like, uh, that sort of artistic streak that you got you can also look at writing you can also look at like the motivational speaking to help people it sounds like you really want to make like an impact whilst you're here 
Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, there's, um, I think that's something that we should all really aspire to do. And I, I think, you know, if you love to do something, like I've just started rapping now as well. And I think I'm just, I'm a creative person. I love expressing myself. And, you know, it's not just something that motivates me. It's almost like it's my calling. It's something that really fulfills me. I remember when I met my first fan in person, and I think when you meet people in person, that has a little bit more of an impact than, you know, when I see people commenting on my, my feed and liking my photos and interacting with my content, that, that's great. But I think it really sinks in when someone is, like, standing right in front of you. And the first fan I met, um, like, a beautiful girl, probably just a bit younger than me, and, and she's had severe mental health issues. And she was sort of... She was, her mother came to me actually, she was too scared to ask me if I was who I was, so her mother came to me and asked me if I was bipolar Barbie, and I was sort of like, yeah, I actually am, that's so strange, um, and then she's like, oh, my daughter absolutely loves you, do you mind if she comes up and says hello, and I was like, no, that's fine, and this poor girl was like screaming and crying, and I'm just thinking like, holy crap, like, where is One Direction, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 the middle I just I couldn't believe this was for me and in the end I started crying it was just it was such a humbling experience actually to be told by someone that you know I was the reason that they were alive and that because of me they've decided to go back on their medication um they've decided to reach out for help you know to new doctors and new therapists and then to have a mother you know of a, of a teenage daughter to stand there and say not only have you saved my daughter's life, but you've saved our relationship because now I know how she feels because she shows me your post. Like each morning she'll read out, you know, a post to me that really resonated with her um, so that she can say, mom, this is how I feel today. Because otherwise, you know, she wouldn't have understood how to explain herself. And I think that's where a lot of confusion, stigma and misunderstanding comes with mental health is it's purely a language barrier. Yeah. It's it's language that not many people speak, <clears throat> just, you know, like the foreign language, whether it be German, Spanish, you know, Japanese, Chinese, um, whatever it is, mental health is exactly the same. We lack the emotional vocabulary. You know, we really lack the imagery that allows people to relate to our struggle. We don't know enough about it. Um, to be able to have those conversations so it's not just about saying to someone you need to talk about this it's about saying to someone like well this is how we talk about it and really as you say create that safe environment where it's like hey it's normal to do this look at me I'm doing it you can do it too and if you don't feel like doing it on your own personal feed come share your story you know in the comments on kind of my feed let's create this safe space and you know, it can eventually filter out from there. It's like a lot of people test the waters with telling their own story through mm. my platform, you know, and then expand onto their own. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think as a man, like I, <clears throat> I really struggle to articulate my emotions. Like I've always been like a really emotional person. Like, um, I knew I was different from like other kids when I was growing up because I'd be more interested in spending time with like people that were older than me than people my own age. And when I eventually went to therapy, um, it really taught me how to 
articulate my emotions and I try through like the podcast to you know do some education and you know I try to uh, talk about my own experiences because then it's something that like you very much do you know like with that girl where she can show her mom a post and say like look this is how I'm feeling today I'm very much hoping I create the same sort of effects like um that sort of halo effect that like filters down to other people that might struggle to articulate like I used to and yeah I just I love that you do that as well definitely I think it's really the only way to kind of tackle it I mean it it sort of annoys me in a way how a lot of mental health organizations and awareness campaigns um you know do tackle the issue because I see them always mentioning this word stigma and I mean I never really mention this word stigma I really um don't like using it because all I really get from these mental health campaigns is there's a stigma around mental illness. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows there's a stigma around it because that's all you ever hear. But not many people go into that sort of in-depth. It's like, okay, why is there a stigma? You know, does anyone really even know what that word stigma means? And why do we, like, why do we even acknowledge a stigma? Why do we waste our breath? on acknowledging the people who believe mental illness doesn't exist when we could just be using that time and energy and resources to talk about what it is. And if people understand it, they're less likely to reject it and judge it if they do have a thorough understanding of, you know, what it actually means and what it's like to suffer those conditions. Yeah. Have you ever faced judgment yourself um, based on... Because because the sort of level and transparency that you've got, and I've been following your content for a while, it is very frank and very honest and uh, congruent, which is what I respect, frankly. Um, so have you ever had any feedback off that, you know, people that don't understand and you've been able to, like, say, well, this is what it's like, and then they've been able to have empathy? Or have you ever just faced straight up judgment where it's just hate people throwing shade at you and you have to like <laughs> fight your corner <laughs> yeah i mean you know i've probably experienced more of that like in my what i would say real life as in like offline life you know um than i have in in sort of the public sphere um i don't even really bother with those people like if you get the occasional hater but it's normally like one in ten thousand which i i think with the amount of following that I have, those are those are pretty good odds. You occasionally get the just e- extremist, you know, just someone. And, and I'm a firm believer that how someone treats you or the things they have to say says a lot more about themselves, you know, that they're hurting. So normally I just kind of ignore it. If, if it's abusive or offensive in kind of any way, I, you know, I block them, I get rid of them because that's not what I want in my community. Yeah. I don't tolerate um, that it's not so much for me like you can say what you want to me but you know I stand up for the people that I connect with you know I'm kind of protective in that way um, but I'm sort of at a point now personally where it's like dude you can say what you want about my mental illness but it's not going to affect me anymore um, I don't really give a shit <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think having the amount of support that I do has really helped in that way um, I think it's also helped 
with you know the people even in my life my own family it's like they didn't believe it they rejected it they didn't understand it and they probably don't but the only time they ever acknowledged it was when I was in the hospital and that was like an external validation from them it's like obviously if these doctors think I need to be hospitalized well okay maybe there is something serious yeah um but if I wasn't in hospital you know I was just faking it I was just making it up but I think now it's like it's become so big it's kind of like well you can't avoid it now and almost in a way it's kind of like well if you guys didn't want to listen to me if you didn't want to hear about it you know I'm going to prove my point by making sure the whole goddamn world is listening to me (laughs) yeah exactly yeah you're gonna make sure you talk to the people that want to hear the story instead yeah and you know I I dream of a day where you know talking about mental health openly and honestly is really just the majority that's what people do and the people who don't believe in it the people who reject it are the minority and you know it's incredible how just talking about it so openly and honestly and regularly and just you know I I don't always like to make a point to talk about it it's just so funny how you can integrate it into your everyday life without even like realizing it um how easy it is to just genuinely ask someone are they okay and I think sometimes because I answer that question you know progressively more honestly then people start to feel comfortable with answering that question more honestly as well um so you know whether they be sort of work colleagues or whether they be friends it's like after a while people start coming to me and opening up about their issues you know, a lot of people I haven't spoken to in a while, you know, I might see down the street and, you know, people I knew from school and they started following my content, you know, and they sort of say, wow, I've gone through a lot of the same stuff and I had no idea you went through it. And, you know, or even some of my close friends will come to me and say, hey, I just want to talk to you. Like, I think this might be going on. I'm not sure. I didn't, you know, I don't know what to do. Can, you know, can you help me? Like, what do I do? I feel lost. I'm confused. And that was the hardest thing for me when I began was just being dropped in the middle of the the ocean, you know, in the rough seas of mental illness, but I was alone and no one I knew had ever talked about mental health issues like they had had them. You know, it was always that crazy auntie or, you know, that that crazy crackhead down the street. Um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what the first port of call was. And I think that was the hardest thing. Um, And I didn't, you know, I didn't have someone like me. I didn't have a a friend or, you know, even an acquaintance where I could contact them and and go, okay, I know that you've been through this. Like, if if I think I'm going through it, like, what can I do? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Kind of like that resource or like, uh, it's so... Like, it's so interesting how, like, the different, like, um, tangents of, like, our lives, like, cross over or... I think I know what I'm trying to say. Like, it, that's the thing that bothered me so much, is that I, I didn't even know, really, that uh, counselling or, like, therapy was, like, a thing and, like, how accessible it was. And um, I was annoyed as well that I didn't know what uh, post-traumatic stress disorder was. And I was, like, really annoyed about not knowing what anxiety was either. And, like, that 
it's most people will actually have it in their lives and I just yeah it's it's interesting like I had um similar frustrations in a way like the lack of information and like you say it is not having that port of call it it makes you like when you are in tough times it means that you're like backed up in a corner and you feel like you've got nowhere to go like for me it felt like taking my own life was like the only way like out because I felt like I had nowhere else to go like um it can be that well, bad it's almost like it's not a choice though you know if you know what I mean like I, I don't know if you agree but every time I was suicidal I never felt like I was making a choice to die it, it just sort of seemed like it was inevitable hmm you know like like this illness I think is honestly terminal if it's not treated correctly yeah um the definition of a mental illness is a distortion in in your thinking or behavior um you know something is not going on right and people are like well you're acting crazy it's like yeah because i'm not in my right mind like what do you not understand about that it's like i'm not thinking clearly i'm not making the right choices because i don't actually have the capacity to do that during an episode um and for many years it was just episode after episode and I don't know. I think, you know, some people are like, oh, we're so over people raising awareness about mental health. You know, you come across those kind of people. And I just kind of go, yeah, but I don't really know anyone, you know, that's doing it kind of right. You know, we talk about mental health, but there's a huge difference between mental health and mental illness. Everyone has mental health issues, but not everyone is going to have a mental illness. And, you know... Um, people always say to me, because I talk about bipolar disorder and I talk about borderline personality disorder and I talk about premenstrual dysphoric disorder and, and a few different things, and people go to me, well, which one do you have? And I'm like, well, all of them. Yeah. Like, you know, that's my diagnosis list, you know, and sometimes it gets bigger, sometimes it gets smaller, sometimes it, it changes, but it's like, not a lot of people understand that there, you know, there's a severity. It's not just I'm mentally ill and everyone who's mentally ill is the same. There is severities. You know, people have different types of mental illness and different causes and there's different reasons and there's different treatments. Just because you're depressed, you know, I've got bipolar depression and borderline depression and it depends really what's causing it, whether it's situational, whether it's it's biochemical, you know. So... I think if you if you talk about it like it's an umbrella, if you talk about it like it's one concept and don't break it down, it probably does more harm than good. Um, yeah. Because then people think that they understand it, but they really don't. Yeah. I would I would completely agree. Like you know, I would never pretend to know anything about uh, bipolar disorder. It's just like um, I had. Uh, someone on the show a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about eating disorders and I was like you know before we went on the show I was like look like help me understand a little bit about this because I'm not ever going to pretend to know like I know my little thing and again even my thing is like just my experience with it it's not going to be the same as like someone else Um, that's exactly right and I mean you know if if I describe the symptoms of bipolar depression, you would be able to relate, um, especially, you know, with, with PTSD, because, you know, there would be depressive 
um, factors that go along with that. The same with an eating disorder, but the causes would be very different. Mm. Um, therefore, the treatment would be very different. So, so yeah. Sorry. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, 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 that's right. That, I was just going to say, like, that's where the most frustrating form of kind of stigma in inverted commas comes from, because then you get people telling you, you know, oh, you just need to treat it this way. Oh, you just need to do this. And it's like, well, you know what? You just need to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I was going to say, um, walk us through a little bit what it's like to have bipolar depression. What's it like for you? I think that's a good question because I think distinguishing, you know, working out what ailments I had and distinguish them from each other was a huge huge thing that I needed to sort out um before I could get treatment sorted um and bipolar depression to me like one thing is my emotions and my human experience is very legal um so when I when I see bipolar depression it's, it's literally how it manifests like within me and it's dark it's like pitch black it's like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just like this black hole. And everything around me is just dark. Um, whereas in like contrast to sort of um, borderline depression, borderline depression is more like this gray cloud that just kind of follows me around and it's gray and it's dreary and it's raining and it's like London. Um, <laughs> carrying this bubble of London around me. Um, you know, and that that is how i can kind of tell the difference between the two but as far as the symptoms are concerned you know i'm going to be overeating in both states i'm going to be lying around in bed i'm going to be suicidal i'm going to be fatigued and tired and have sugar cravings and i'm going to be very antisocial very withdrawn um you know i'm going to get sucked into that netflix vortex and and have packets of chips just lying around in my bed my room's going to be messy um but borderline depression, I might be able to work, you know, the severity might be a little bit less, whereas severe bipolar depression, I probably can't. And then I get sort of in this state where it's like, you know, if my room was burning down right now, would I be able to move? Would I be able to get out and escape the fire? And oftentimes in severe bipolar depression, the answer is no. I'm actually paralyzed. Like there is no way that I could find the energy or the motivation to actually physically move in a situation like that. It's like physically crippling. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. They're kind of like, oh, it's all in your head. It's like, yeah, my brain's in my head. Your brain is the control center of your entire body. So if your brain is affected and bipolar disorder is, you know, it's a chemical imbalance. It's an inability to regulate chemical change, um, which you know sends all sorts of faulty signals to the rest of your body. So yeah, physically you're going to be fatigued. You know, it is kind of like having a flu. It's not just about having suicidal thoughts. It's literally physical exhaustion. And if you do MRI scans, you'll actually see that your brain and particular areas of the brain are not functioning. Um, they won't light up on an MRI scan. Interesting. It shows that there's not a, a lot of neuron activity in those parts of the brain. Whereas when you're manic, it's the opposite. It's like 
fully turned on. It's it's just full noise and lights and, and activity. But the trouble is with that as well is because you're in such a heightened state, you will burn brain cells, which then, you know, makes depression worse and, and your prognosis worse in the long run because they've shown the same gray matter deterioration in your brain with bipolar patients as they do with Alzheimer's patients. Wow, I, I had no idea about that. You know, so you, you can't just tell me it's it's like, you know, sort of all in my head implying that it's just a psychological issue. Man, I've got psychological issues. I know that. But there is a difference as well on a biochemical level. Like, there is no way I would be able to have stability without my medication um, for my bipolar disorder and my premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is a hormone condition in women that often goes along with bipolar, um, you know, with episodes triggered by a change in, in hormones. But, you know, without that, I would have no chance of stability. But that's not the be all and, and end all, all that it just kind of gets me to a state where it's like, okay, I got my right brain left, like, you know, I can, I can function again, you know, the areas of my brain are working. Um, you know, like when you're manic, the reasoning center of your brain actually switches off. So they will show no brain activity in that part of your brain. Wow. So basically what that means is there is no stoplight. <laughs> There's no stop sign. So is you know, the... you're actually not capable of reasoning. So I've, I've heard that, um, I say I've heard, I've read that in bipolar disorder during a manic episode there's a tendency to be more uh, impulsive would you say that's right yes yeah that is exactly right and and you know as i was just saying with the you know that reasoning section of your brain it is not actually switched on in an mri you'll see that it's not lighting up it's not working that's why um you will behaving erratically you will be reckless you know, all of these things will occur because you're in such a euphoric state, you know, when you're happy, you're like, oh my God, this will be the best idea ever. And there's not that second voice kind of going, hey, that's maybe not the best idea. Yeah. It's full steam ahead. Everything's great. I'm invincible. Nothing bad can happen. Um, and then obviously everything bad happens. <laughs> how long, like, how long typically does that sort of time frame last for for you know, during a manic episode, or is there no time frame? I mean, it can be different for everyone. Um, mania normally doesn't last as long as depression. Um, I think purely because of how, like, your body would get so physically exhausted. Um, you don't feel exhaustion, but, like, you know, when I'm manic and having a full-blown manic episode, I don't sleep. And... There's only so long you can stay awake 24 hours of the day. I mean, your eyes get red, they get sore, and you just get into a state where you get so delirious, you start to become massively psychotic. Um, and, you know, you can't stay in that state for a long period of time. But the problem is you kind of do. For me, it's like two or three months. Wow. Which you know, it's a huge amount of time. And then because of that, it takes me about nine months of depression afterwards to recover. Gosh. And, you know, one thing I noticed is I would say that I've been in like a state of recovery for about the last 12 months, which is awesome. I've had more 
good days than bad days, which is huge for me. Yeah. Um, you know, but I guess all you can really hope for with like a chronic mental illness is you will never fully recover. Um, and that's what people don't understand about for bipolar, for example, whether it be schizophrenia or something like that. Um, I, you know, this year I still had nine months of depression, but it wasn't crippling. Um, you know, it's, it did impact a lots of parts of my life, but it really wasn't a huge, um, you know, impact as it had been in previous years. And I think the closer I got to finding the correct medication, then it was definitely, um, you know, things did kind of get easier over the years. When I look back to like six years ago, the level of depression that I had at those times was just so unbelievably severe, you wouldn't be able to comprehend. Um, for example, my manic episodes, instead of staying awake 24 hours a day, on the right mood stabilizers, you know, I might get, you know, say like five or six hours of sleep. That's great. You know, so you definitely lessen those symptoms. Um, but for me, I still have kind of those two or three month periods where I'm more energized. You know, um, there are like the symptoms of a sort of manic-ish episode but you couldn't really class it as a manic episode because the severity is like so mild, but I can just tell the difference as to when that switch kind of flicks, you know, overnight, I just go, wow, okay, I woke up pretty energized today. I'm motivated. I'm getting shit done. Like, you know, um, and then the same thing, you can kind of just go back to like, you know what? I'm just not motivated anymore. I just, I'm just flat. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a really great insight. Thank you. Like, um, <clears throat> I've spoken to quite a few different people um, on the podcast about uh, bipolar. Um, <clears throat> I would say um, I've had lots of different perspectives like over time. And I think one of the areas that you touched on, which was really great, which was actually about the medication, I didn't realise until I spoke to someone how difficult it actually was to find the right medication. Oh my god, yeah, I've tried like 17 <clears throat> different medications. <laughs> at times I've been on five different ones at the same time. And the average time frame to diagnose bipolar from onset of symptoms is about 10 years. Wow. That's, that's like the national or international average <clears throat> and, you know, in sort of Western countries where they have data on it, but Normally, it takes about another 10 years to be able to effectively prescribe treatment. You know, people definitely don't understand that. You know, people say to me, like, oh, shouldn't you be better right now? It's like, uh, yeah, like, I thought so, too. <laughs> 10 years <laughs> is a lot. expectation as well, but it's not the case. Like, you know, despite the fact, you know, you go to your GP and the first thing is not always, like, they don't refer you to a psychiatrist straight away. You know, contrary to popular belief, they don't want to put you on medication. They want you to get therapy. And it's only after you've been doing therapy for a couple of years, they start to kind of go, okay, well, maybe something is wrong. It's, it's sort of only when it's like you're losing your job, you dropped out of law school, you're heading towards being homeless and, and you know, drug and alcohol addiction that they're kind of like, okay, maybe we'll start believing you. Like maybe something is actually severely wrong. Um it's a shame that you do have to sink to such a low level before a lot of help is available. And 
that is only if you had the insight as well. I mean, if you know that something is going on and I was lucky enough to have that, but even then I faced a lot of resistance from the medical community um, about getting treatment. Um, and from there, you know, I went on my first antidepressant. It didn't work. It made me a zombie. It was terrible. I was on it for six months before I finally had the courage to go back and say something is wrong. And my doctor went, oh, well, that's all right. We'll just put you on another one and see what happens. Um, a different class of antidepressant that works in a different way. And, you know, I went on that one and, and things were great for a while and they kind of stopped. But it didn't really work either. It just worked for a while because it was that time of year, that seasonal effective. And I also had a bunch of operations on my stomach because they thought I had a bunch of internal issues because I was nauseous. I had kidney problems. I had all of this. But it was just a medication. Oh, geez. <laughs> but nobody had made that connection that all these issues started the same time as I started this medication. And, you know, I spent 18 months on that medication and going backwards and forwards to doctors and therapists going, something is still not right. It took me three years before I finally got referred to a psychiatrist, at which point I called them. The secretary said, all right, we got an appointment in six months and it'll be $300. We'll see you then. Wow. And it's like, you know, even once you get in with a psychiatrist, normally it's like, okay, three months from now we've got another appointment, you know. It, it's so hard and it's very expensive. Um, and when you're unable to work, when you're supporting yourself, it's very hard um, to be able to keep up with that or even to get yourself out of bed when that meeting finally does come around. And yeah, there's so much involved. And, you know, even they, they put you on a medication. It takes about two to three months to, to start working. So they won't take you off it within that two to three months because they're going, well, we still don't know if it's working. Let's just wait and see what happens. And then normally you get to that point and they're like, all right, well, let's just, let's just wait another couple of months just to, like, see what happens, you know, have faith, you know. And then you get to that point where it's like, this is clearly not working. Six months later, I'm in distress. I really need help. And then they go, okay, well, we'll wean you off it, but we have to take it off it, like, slowly. So, you know, they're, they're taking it down slowly, you know, and then they're like, we've got to wait at least a couple of months to get it out of your system before we can try something else. And you're just, you're going through this constant process, and it's it's so hard. Um, you might be on a combination of mood stabilizers and antipsychotics and antidepressants, and then you get into my state where it's like, I'm on antipsychotics and mood stabilizers, but I need an antidepressant because of my other mental illnesses. But because I'm bipolar, they're reluctant to prescribe me an antidepressant, you know, but without the antidepressant, I'm never going to get the level of stability that I need. And then you go to different doctors and they've got different opinions and they're like, oh, we don't want you on that medication for no other reason than like, we don't want you on it. They take you off it and then you're begging them to like put you back on it. You know, and, and I had that happen a couple of years ago. They took me off this medication that was working great because my doctor just decided she didn't want it. And then, you know, 12 months later, I'm in hospital and I'd been begging her to put me back on it. And she was like, no, no, no. And I was hospitalized and I said, you need to put me on this medication. You need to put me back on it. It was the only thing that helped my premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It was the only relief I had from depression. And she's like, well, why did we take you off it? And I was like, because you said... And she's just like, oh, well, let's just put you back on it then. And I've had the best year of my life since. Wow. So, like, 
there's so much patience involved and it must be so frustrating at times like to have to go through like I've only been sat here listening to everything that you've just said and even I feel a little bit tired and I feel I feel like feel empathy real empathy for you because of this like this process that you have to go through just to be able to like function um yeah I mean I I really don't want you to feel anything for me I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me I don't I don't really care it's like I've been there I've done that and I think the work that I'm doing allows me to feel like I've done it for a reason it breaks my heart to know that my story is far too common you know it breaks my heart to know that there are so many more people that went through what I went through even far worse and but in a way it's like okay if that made you feel something good because something needs to change you know it is so hard to access mental health support um it is so hard to function with a mental illness it's not just about raising awareness it's like we we need infrastructure you know we we need more help to be available um and i really need people to understand how severe that issue is um some people might be able to go to a gp have some therapy and be all good some people might you know just need an antidepressant pick me up and and they're all good but you know there are there are other people out there you know who fall under that class of of having a mental illness or or having you know mental health issues and it's it's not as easy for them no and that doesn't mean that they're less of a person i was always viewed as less of a person you're not trying hard enough you don't want to get better because you're not getting better it's like nobody wanted to get better more than i did yeah. Uh, I tried so hard and it was just, yeah, for a long time, it's like swimming against the current. Everything was against me. Um, and I don't know what made me keep going in those moments. Mm. You had like a I real wanted... internal drive to like stay I alive. Like I had to believe that there was, there was a way. It's, you know, there was kind of my scientific kind of, you know, mind is just going, no, there has to be an answer. There can't not be an answer. We can't be a bunch of intelligent, you know, people that have cured some types of cancers and and they can't have an answer for what's going on with me. It's like, no, there, there has to be a way that I can get my quality of life back because I couldn't live like that anymore. And I either did take my life or I found a way to not live like this anymore and keep myself alive yeah that's great it's nice that you're here though and you're able to talk about this because it's going to help so many people and kind of like out of of everything that i'm good at there is one thing i'm terrible at and that is killing myself (laughs) i'm I'm glad (laughs) and it just it it's never happened um I just, but you know, in a way, it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm glad it didn't because maybe there was a higher power looking out for me, going, no, I put you here for a reason, and I, you, you just can't leave yet. It's not, it's not, it's not your time. Yeah, you're not done here. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, about medication, and obviously, mm-hmm. like I say, you've got quite a community, you've got quite a following. Ha- are you aware of any charities or any organisations doing really strong work to, you know, not only to raise uh, that awareness, but, 
you know, you talked a little bit about infrastructure and I'm really glad that you spoke about that. Um, but obviously there's other elements. There's the awareness aspect, there's actual treatment, there's, you know, the drugs themselves, you know, when you say like about biochemical balance, there's definitely something in that, um, obviously. And then, um, there's like the sort of like talking therapy, um, there's like also you got your emerging therapies as well. Um, what you know have you been exposed to any of these types of not-for-profits or organizations that are you know making it easier to access mental health yeah there is one which is uh i think it's australia specific maybe i think that i think they've just branched overseas so you might have it over there in the uk but um in australia we have headspace i'm not talking about the meditation app but headspace um is a youth organization for people under the age of 25 and honestly like i'm 26 now but they they absolutely changed my life and my only regret is that i didn't have the courage to reach out to them sooner but they were the first you know doctors i met and and placed i mean from the moment i walked into their office the receptionist just made me feel so welcome it was like hey welcome to this safe space and sort of one of the social workers were there and, you know, she's like, hey, come in, let's have a chat, let's see what we can do for you. And, you know, um, from there, you know, we scheduled an initial assessment and they sort of assessed what services, you know, I needed, which was probably all of them. Um, but, you know, they, they had a range of nutritionists and psychologists and, and general practitioners um, and things like that. And it was a free service. Um, it, and, and they were really regular about booking appointments, you know, whenever I needed them, they were there, they were really available, they would make space for me, um, you know, once a week, I was seeing the GP, as well as the psychologist, you know, I, w I was there, and one of the really good things about that, that setup, was that because they were in the same office, because they were part of the same group, they had the same access to I guess my file, um, you know, when I agreed on it. So, you know, what I discussed with my GP, I could discuss with my psychologist. You know, it's not like when you're going to a private psychologist and, and then a private doctor over here and then your psychiatrist, it was kind of, you know, it can be really disjointed. So you find yourself, like I've explained my situation a million times. Yeah, <laughs> you've almost got got like a script that you just need to read from. Yeah, pretty much. And then each, each doctor's kind of, because you end up giving them the, the quick version, then they're kind of like, I don't know if I believe you, you know, because you're just stating your conclusions based on like what everything, everyone else has told you. So, you know, then they want to make their own assessment. And, and it's just, it gets, that gets frustrating in itself. So it was really nice to have that consistency um, to not have to explain myself. But honestly, they just open, they just, welcomed me with open arms and i think that was the best thing um you know at times they just kind of went we don't know what to do with you but rather than kicking me out like i had in the past with doctors who are just kind of like wow you were way beyond our expertise like we don't even we don't even want you to make appointments with us because we don't want to be responsible for what happens to you kind of thing yeah um, you know, they, they would be like, we're going to help you find someone that can help you. Like, you know, stay here. Um, so there are some great medical professionals I have seen um, over the years. 
Unfortunately, I would say it's only been like one in 50 medical professionals, whether it be nurses, therapists, psychiatrists, general practitioners, um, that I could honestly say willingly helped me. Yeah. Like had uh, that sort of caring demeanour like you found at Headspace. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, who had that caring demeanour, who, uh, you know, sort of would take the extra time, who might go beyond the 10-minute appointment without pushing me out the door, who might simply say, you know what, you're not okay today and I can see that, you know, stay in this room and I'm going to, you know, you're going to stay here until I can get a hold of your psychiatrist, you know what I mean? Like, my duty of care is to make sure that you're okay not just to take your money for the 10-minute appointment or 15-minute appointment to kind of go, I'm going to sit here, whether it be 45 minutes until I can call someone until we can sort this out for you. Um, or, you know, if if they refer me to someone and then I left, called them and said, you know, they said, oh, sorry, we can't see you, you know, to call the doctor back and they go, okay, come back in tomorrow, we'll sit in the office and we'll call around until we can guarantee that we can get you in somewhere else, you know, really went the extra mile to make you yeah yeah which shouldn't really be um you know which i kind of think it's not necessarily going above and beyond it's kind of if someone's coming to you for help that's that's almost like a service that you need to provide yeah um i don't think you're expecting too much um i think if you sit in a doctor's office you tell them that you're not okay you give them your mental health history, you you tell them the medication you're on, and you tell them that you want to throw yourself in front of a train, you know, and they sit there and go, I don't believe you're mentally ill and I don't think you should be on medication and, you know, I think you just need to see the therapist so let's make you an appointment in three weeks' time, you know, and then you're sitting there crying and, like, in hysterics because you're seriously just going do you understand the gravity of what I'm saying to you right now? Like now I feel like I do have to walk out of your office in front of a train, that sort of thing. It's, I don't know. It blows my mind at, at how inadequate <laughs> it just, it can be. I, I went through it and I just, it, it makes me cheer up when I think that there is, you know, there, there are other people out there in that exact same situation right now as we speak. Yeah. Um, I had a similar situation uh i got given a leaflet and walked out thinking something similar to you um yeah it's sometimes it is like the the sort of (laughs) worst case scenario you get when you visit your gp so i think the next kind of question i wanted to ask and i guess it's a little bit selfish because like i'm I'm training to be a therapist myself at the moment. Um, so I wanted to know if you'd ever had talking therapy and whether that's ever, like, you know, been of benefit to you or whether it's just not quite worked out or or you've never had it. No, I've definitely had a lot of therapy and a lot of different types of therapy. For me, the best type of kind of therapy I went through was the, the more group therapy in like a classroom environment, um, the day programs that I did and the intensive therapy I had when I was in hospital 
know, we used to have these group classes where they'd sort of teach us, um, you know, the basics of cognitive behavioral therapy and, and things like that. Um, that really worked for me because I like to have the formula. I like to have the understanding and the knowledge, like basically teach me your psychology degree and I'll apply it myself. But I know not everyone is like that. And I think that's the biggest advice I can give to anyone is we're all unique. Um, you know, things are not going to work the same for everyone. Um, you know, it, it took me a while. There was one psychologist that was very helpful when I was in hospital that I saw regularly when I was hospitalized. She was so helpful. Um, I've since found a pretty helpful psychologist, um, you know, since then that's my current psychologist. Um, others have been quite inadequate though. And I think that's because of, of qualifications wise and whether it's just because they haven't done enough study, they don't specialize in the area of therapy that I need, which a lot of people don't understand either. Um, you know, you've got a therapist and then you've got your sort of psychologist and clinical psychologist. Then you've got your, your psychologists that have done a doctorate. Um, you know, they have different levels of training and, and they've done their own um, sort of studies in certain areas. So someone might be trained for cognitive behavioral therapy, which was certainly a great start for me, which is a general therapy they apply to a lot of anxiety. But those principles weren't necessarily going to work for, you know, the complex trauma I suffered, um, you know, so that required a sort of a different approach, a different style. And a lot of the therapists I was going to, you know, just weren't trained in that style. So they kept wanting to analyze me in the way that they had been taught. Um, but that didn't necessarily work, you know, if that makes sense. Mm. I understand, yeah. Yeah, there are lots of different models and then it's the interpretation of uh, therapists of those different models in their particular practice and then, like say, it's to what also to what level you're educated as well. Um, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned uh, cognitive behaviour therapy because, like, I try and explain like the different types of like therapy I'm aware of and because I've had experience of a couple of different types um, and then I've had to learn them as well through my training so I try and like explain the different models and like you know what they're good for and it, it almost to help people find and shop around for um, a counsellor or therapist because that's what I had to do. I ended up going private and I've paid a lot of money over five years now that I've been going to therapy um, to go private. So it's like in aid of helping people know what they're buying when they, you know, approach a counsellor or therapist for assistance, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, it's that's just a sort of another piece of the puzzle. And sometimes you need some that mesh well with your personality. Some some just aren't that good at reading people. Um, I know I'm probably one of the most difficult patients and, you know, one of the best patients at the same time. Um, some doctors love me. Some despise me. Um, my psychiatrist is like, oh, my God, I hate you, but I love you. There's just something so endearing about you, but you're so frustrating because, you know, I don't. 
I guess sometimes I'm, I kind of tell them how to do their job and I'm, I'm sitting there like, I'm not telling you how to do your job, but like, just do your job. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, you were doing your job, I have to tell you how to do your job. Um, not everyone is going to be like that, but I think a lot of doctors who didn't know me didn't understand the insight that I have into myself. And I've been told that not a lot of patients have that. It's, it's something a lot of them have never come across before. So I think, you know, that posed its own set of issues. Um, I was often told I didn't act sick enough um, to get the, the help that I needed. You know, th- this idea of being too highly functioning um, came up a lot, especially with access to the public system. In the end, after about seven years of trying to access it, um, I basically got told sort of on the on the, the download um, from one of the people in, in the hospital program I was trying to get into um, at the selection team. It was like the fifth year I was trying to get into their dialectical behavioral therapy course. And they just said to me, look, there's no point in applying again because you're not going to get let in. Despite wow. the fact I've been hospitalized repeatedly each year and all this, they just said, look, you're not being a public nuisance. You're keeping yourself out of trouble. You know, you're not in jail and, you know, you're not on crack. You're not being brought in by the police on a regular basis. So, like, sorry, we're, we're going to prioritize other people over you. Wow. So, um, you know, that's sort of, I guess, the sad reality. You either have to have money to access the private or... I don't know. I, I, in the end, the doctors that I did have sort of said, you know what, you just need to stop keeping your shit together as well as you are because you are sick enough to access these services. You just try harder than most people to keep your shit together. And that's actually sort of hurting you in the long run because um, you're struggling and just barely keeping your head above water, you know, just enough to fool people into thinking that you're not drowning. And for that reason, they didn't let you into the programs. Yeah. Yeah. That blows my mind. I know, right? It's, yeah. It's something that not, not a lot of places will sort of admit, you know, they're like, oh no, it's, it's definitely open to everyone. Um, but no, I, I honestly think, you know, the reality of it does kind of need to be exposed because it's not. Um, and, and I agree, anyone should really have access to mental health care. Um, you know, the same way if I went to an emergency room, you know, a doctor would have to see me if I had a physical ailment, regardless of whether it was a broken leg or I, I thought I'd sprained my ankle. Um but if I, if I rocked up there and said, you know, I'm severely mentally ill, I, I'm not okay, I need help, you know, they would just say, well, sorry, we can't admit you unless you've actually tried to take your life. Um, you know, here's a pamphlet, call the helpline. Gosh. Yeah. It is, it is interesting. And there, there really does need to be a conversation around the, you know, the infrastructure and coping with the demands, like, now that mental health is being exposed more and more and uh, mental illness is being exposed more and more, um, I think there's really going to be... This conversation is never going to go away. It's only going to get louder and louder. And um, hopefully it's going to... Um, I say hopefully. I know it'll inspire 
lots of action and hopefully policy as well from a government perspective but also you know from an influencer point of view lots of like grassroots campaigns about you know people trying to change their like local constituencies and also you know um lots of great content producers like explaining it how it is today so people can make informed choices about the future and yeah really make sure that people do get the help they deserve um when they are struggling yeah that's exactly right um i i completely agree with you i just think you know i'm so lucky that i i have been able to create such a large following and i honestly i hope it continues to grow because it really breaks my heart that you know people like the kardashians for example you know their clan can can amass a following about you know over half a billion people and you just see in social media you know the increase of the the peach bum pics and the big lips and you know they have such an influence on people and it's just i don't know i i just think it's a shame that you know the real voices of sort of real life can get drowned out in in that sea um you know when you just get swarmed on social media so for me it's become a little bit of a, a social experiment as well to see sort of how far i can push those boundaries how far you know how much of an impact can i actually make yes in social media when people talk about it in such a negative space um you know i i want to use it for good and show people that it can be used for good and and you very much are like um I've I've taken time to like go through some of your Instagram posts and I've also you know been through your website as well and you know a lot of the content like is positive and the reaction from people is positive as well so you're definitely making an impact and yeah I just say more power to you and I hope you continue and yeah I think it can only I can I can only imagine it going up for you so I'm kind of I feel like I'm on a bit of a roll now it's like you know I, I just decided that this is what I'm devoting my life to because you know when when I get feedback like that nothing you know nothing makes me happier that's that's all I want is to touch people's lives in that way and um I just I just I can't wait to meet you know as many people as I can and just continue changing lives it breaks my heart to know that you know about 80,000 people take their own life each month that's about a million people a year and those statistics are ridiculous um you know i hope that i can you know i can reach a following of sort of a million or more um because i would really like to help save some of those lives yeah um i hope you do as well um i want to respect your time um because i know you've got to go so i just wanted to say uh from the bottom of my heart and with all the warmth in the world, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the pod ta- uh, podcast to explain your story and, you know, answer my questions. It's been, uh, it's taught me a lot. And yeah, it's like sometimes I've like not been able to say anything. So I've just been sat here with my like gob wide open. But yeah, thank you. It happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time and 
um, you know, it's, it's been great connecting with you and hearing snippets of your story. And I really look forward to the podcast and, you know, what the future holds for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. So that's been the show for today, guys. Uh, this has been Know Yourself with Dan Udell and special guest Bipolar Barbie. Until next time, guys, peace out.